This morning we had an opportunity to see uh, a baptism service and someone welcoming their commitment to, to God and be a part of our church family. And I'm informed today that we have someone, a couple that will be leaving our church and here for the last time that we have to say goodbye. So that's Denny and um, Don Dawson. If you'd raise your hand so everybody knows where you are. Okay. We want to pray for them as they move to Nevada. And so we want to join together to say goodbye as we just earlier welcome. Now we say goodbye. So let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for our church family. We recognize how much each one of them means to, to you and to each other here. And it, uh, while it's a joy to see someone come, it's a sadness to see someone go in, in a sense. So, but we ask, Lord, that you will bless Danny and Don as they go to Nevada, that you will help them to find a church family there, and that they might be quickly uh, have the support of those who love you and, let, and will love them. We pray, Lord, that you will make things go smoothly as they make the transition and, and that you'll be just everywhere with them and help them to, uh, to feel your, your presence, Lord, and this change point in their life. So we just ask you to bless them, and we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that they have had to have them in the family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Eric, I made it up here without calamity. Okay, that's a step in the right direction. This morning I stepped on the mic on the way down the aisle. And so uh, that was a, quite a scene as I tried to put myself together and figure out where a mic was. And, 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 and poor Eric was trying to go up and down and find me. But uh, we did better. We're on a good, good, good roll right now. So I'm excited to share with you this morning a message that God has placed on my heart over a, a quite a bit of a period of time. And with uh, Brandon giving me a chance to to share with you this morning, I appreciate that opportunity. I'd ask you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, the sixth book in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 3, as we go to God's Word. I'll give you a little chance to find it. Okay, Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Chittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before they crossed over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord our God and the priests, or are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Verse 5 is a verse that I want to focus on today, and you want to keep your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 3. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Lord, we ask that you bless the reading of your word and make it fruitful in our lives. Help us to understand, Lord, and apply it. And so we look to you, Lord, as our teacher and, and our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I need to get a little background about what's happening in chapter 3. The path that's set before them is a difficult one that started long before chapter 3. Um, they were on the verge, 40 years, this, this 40 years before this time, they were on the verge of going into the promised land and crossing the Jordan River. And uh, Moses had led them in a great exodus from Egypt and deliverance that God had given them and crossed the Red Sea and traveled right to the border of where they could go into the land that God promised them. And they, before they went in there, 
Uh, Moses sent 12 spies, one spy from one person from each tribe, to go and check out the land. And they went and they did a survey of the land and came back and gave a report to the people and to Moses that it is good land. It is beautiful. It is uh, full of milk and honey and great produce. They had giant grapes and giant all kinds of different things that they brought back and showed them the, pr the prosperity of the land. But they also had something that they were concerned about. They said, uh, it's a great looking land, but it's filled with uh, great fort fortified cities. And they even have giants in the land. That's not the San Francisco giants either. These were real giants that they had to worry about. And they said, we will not be able to overcome. And got the people all stirred up and, and weeping and, and, and uh, aggravated. And, uh, but there were two spies that had a minority report. You remember Joshua and Caleb said no to the people and tried to get them to listen. God promises this land and we can go and take it and we must go now. But they overruled Joshua and Caleb and for 40 years God allowed them to wander in the wilderness until every person in that generation died except Caleb and Joshua who were the minority report. And now they're back to where they started 40 years beforehand looking over into the promised land over the Jordan River. So, <clears throat> conquering the promised land was not the only challenge that they faced as they looked over there in, the, in that area across the Jordan. It was the river itself. Crossing the Jordan River at this time of year was in the fall. It tells us in verse 15, it was, it was constant flooding going on. And uh, I know a little bit about floods. I grew up over on the coast in Eureka area and went through some terrific floods. But... I live by the Sacramento River. I haven't learned a thing, you know, after all those other floods. I live in the floodplain, and uh, we have to pay a lot of extra insurance to protect our house. And, but when the river comes up, and the, South, the Sacramento River comes up, it, is, it starts to rise. It gets real noisy and choppy and violent. And, uh, and you can open our front door on a porch. We can listen to it. It just makes it a roaring sound, the river does. And I hear something I never, I'd never heard before until I lived there. These giant rocks underneath the river began to roll. And I didn't know what this echoing sound was. There's an eerie echoing as these rocks hit each other and make this noise underwater. So anyway, the people of God had quite a few challenges ahead of them. They had a land over there that hadn't changed. They still got giants. They still got fortified cities. They have this river that is flooding and, and pretty much impossible to cross. And uh, Joshua has about two million people uh, men, women, children, and some animals that need to go across there. So it is a challenging position to be in. And he said, before we go, and God told him to go, before we go, you need to consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord is going to do great things among us. And so the path was set. The challenge was there. And we have those kind of challenges in our personal lives as well. Now, today, God may have put you in a situation where it looks impossible in your personal life, in your home, in your job, or whatever it is that you're facing. Maybe in our church, it looks like the obstacles and hindrances as we look around the, uh, the cults and the confusion spiritually in our community, there may seem to be some huge obstacles that we face. But there needs to be, as Joshua told the people, there needs to be a consecration that precedes God's activity and God's great work that he can do and wants to do. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow God will do wonders among you. He said God was about to do something great, 
and wonders which would overcome all the obstacles and paths set before them. But before he did it, they needed to prepare themselves. The P word. I had a son who used to hate that when I talk about planning. He hated the P word. But planning and preparation are essential for God's uh, working in the people. Some of, we're getting close. Uh, when you're retired, you don't look at the calendar as carefully as you normally do. But I know that this month has a Thanksgiving Day on it. And it reminds me of Thanksgivings of the past. Uh, when we had all of our kids were close and we had 15 or 16, 17 people for Thanksgiving. And when I was a kid, we had cousins and aunts and uncles. And you may have those memories and thoughts of when you had the gatherings for Thanksgiving. But uh, it's an amazing project to have a Thanksgiving celebration. I know in the times I've looked at it and experienced it, you start out sweeping the porch, <laughs> vacuuming the floors, my all-time favorite, cleaning the bathroom. Then you have to put in a couple extensions in the table. And then you have to go plan a menu and you figure out what you're going to need. Then you have to make shopping trips and try to figure out how much of each thing you need. Then you have to dig out those dishes that are in the hutch that you haven't used since last Thanksgiving and wash them and get them and plan what you're going to, how you're going to set the table and what napkins and tablecloths you're going to use. And then as the day approaches, you've got to go out, you've got to buy that turkey, that frozen turkey. And there's a lot of complications about turkeys. You've got to take them out way before you're ready to use them. I like to microwave things, and you can't do that with a, you can't just throw it out and microwave a turkey. You've got to plan it, and you've got to, uh, you've got to take it out early and put it in the refrigerator so it thaws. You've got to read how many pounds and when you've got to get up in the morning. My mother used to get up about 4 o'clock in the morning and stuff the turkey and put it in so it would be done by 2 o'clock or whatever. You have to plan all of that. And then as you get close to the meal, you've got to figure out how to get the potatoes mashed and the uh, yams heated and the turkey done and, and carved and all the other vegetables. And it all has to come to the table hot at the same time. Got to have ice for the drinks. You got to do all this stuff. It's a complicated deal. And then you got to have them, when they all sit down, you think, this is amazing. All the family's here. All the table is set and just full of this feast. But it's not done. You got to get the camera. And you get the camera and you take pictures of it all, you know. And, and it's a great experience. And then, of course, you got to clean up all that. And there's an organization to that. Um, but it's an amazing project. It takes a lot of work, a lot of preparation. I don't think we realize sometimes us guys who are watching football a lot of times don't realize just how much work it is. So what I'm trying, what I'd like to share with you is that I, consecration and preparation for Thanksgiving feast is a lot of work. But to do things, for God to do great things in our lives, great things in our church, there needs to be consecration, preparation for the most important things in our lives. So I want to share with you, take the opportunity to share that we're involved in a great, uh, great challenge as a church right now. Um, on June 23rd of this year, a group of seven people that you elected as your pastor search committee began to meet on every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. The meetings go anywhere from 9.30 to 10. And uh, we've been meeting ever since on Thursday nights. We've been praying and searching God's word to seek the things that God wants in a pastor. What does God require? We have worked to open communication in a search for resumes and recommendations and have been praying over each of those we've received. We have asked the church to hold us up in prayer and we recognize that the prerequisite of this decision is for knowing God's will. We must pray. 
We've asked you to pray, and we've been praying faithfully, part of a good portion of our meetings. As we've continued over the months, we have become burdened about the need to not only identify a man to lead us, but the need for us as a church to prepare ourselves for a new pastor. As we see that what God wants from a biblical pastor, we have begun to ask ourselves, what does God want from us? And as the search committee begins to, to think on this, we become burdened. We become uh, convicted about things in our own lives as we prepare for the future in our church. We can't just bring in someone and they bring it with them. We are a people that need a leader, an equipper, but we need to be followers. We need to be empowerers. We need to be involved. So we're challenged in that way. Uh, at the end of the service, we'll share with you an up-to-date uh, report and also some things that God has been speaking to us individually about in preparing. But it's a challenge that we have as God's people in our personal lives, in our church life, is to prepare, consecrate ourselves because God wants to do great things and is about to do great things if we consecrate ourselves. So now the big question is, um, what is consecration? What does it mean? We don't use that word a lot. When's the last time you used the word consecration? In the New Testament, we talk a lot about sanctification, which is similar, but we don't use that word a lot, but it was understood in the Old Testament. Uh, and what did he mean by it? The word consecrate is the Hebrew word kadesh. It means holy, basically purify, set apart, sanctify. It means to dedicate, is to consecrate is to dedicate ourselves to be more holy, to be more like God. Joshua told the people that they needed to prepare themselves by becoming holy for the great things that God was about to do in them. The people in Joshua's day knew what it meant for to consecrate themselves. The book of Leviticus is, has details about how to consecrate yourself, how to avoid unclean things and what was unclean, and how to cleanse yourself and how to keep the right kinds of sacrifices and how, how to be clean on the outside. And they also talked about keeping the commandments of God. Consecration means I need getting right with God. David Howard, in his book, uh, uh, Josh, on, in, he wrote on Joshua, he describes the consecration process as separating from anything that would contaminate one's relationship with the perfect God. Let's say that again. Consecration is a process, is a separation from anything that would contaminate one's relationship with a perfect God. It's a, it's a way that we need, it's something we need to do to be right with God. That means we've got to get rid of those things in our relationship that don't belong and cleanse ourselves so that we can be consecrated to God and his use. If you want to consecrate ourselves and prepare to do something so he can do something among us, we have to make sure that we're obeying him in every area of our life that nothing is contaminating our relationship with him. In 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul says we are to cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul again speaks about uh, what it should look like in Romans 12, 1. I didn't put that in the, in the notes. That was when I added it after the notes were made. But Romans 12, 1 is a great verse. It, after 11 chapters in which Paul explains the gospel, our lost condition and what God has done for it in Christ Jesus to save us. He goes to verse 12 and he says, I beseech you therefore and because of the mercies that God has shown you and what he's done for you, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
And we give him us, our lives and our bodies, holy, it says, purified, without something that is acceptable to God. That's our reasonable service to him, Paul said, as he challenged us now that we are saved and, and he lives in us, that we present our bodies now and allow him to use us and be holy and acceptable to God so he can accomplish his purposes. I was meditating on this message one night about, woke up about 4 a.m. It's funny the things you come up with at 4 a.m. But uh, I was just thinking about the sermon when I woke up and I, and I, and I, th I thought about something that kind of paralleled my life. Uh, I was once young. Yes. I'm just waiting to see if there's any, any laughter there. I was once young. I was once actually a child. And uh, I used to go hunting with my dad. And my dad, from the time he got out of the military, was poor. He didn't hear well. And I, and I used to make a lot of noise hunting. But I would follow him around, and he'd go to a place and sit, like in a ravine or whatever. And he would say, okay, son, listen. And one time I remember it was over in the Trinity Alps, and I heard something. I said, I hear something walking over there. And he said, where? And I pointed over here, and just about that time, a deer came from out behind it a bush, and is it okay to say? Dad shot it? Anyway, we were hunting, so that was in the old days. You can do that. And, uh, and he shot it, and I was a hero because my ears, I was able to hear that he couldn't hear that. So I became a, a hearing spotter for, for deer. But anyway, uh, it didn't last all forever. At about 50, I lost that hearing and entered the world of hearing aids. Anybody relate? Okay, we got a few out there. My first hearing aids were not real good, but uh, they were a start. But before retirement, I decided I'd buy the new technology, the best that I could get. They were a lot better than my first ones. My hearing aids are small little cupped uh, contraptions on top of the ear. That is a, uh, that is a, a, a microphone. It picks up sounds from different places. It's just little, but it's very powerful. And then it sends the sounds down a wire that's in a tube that goes into the inner ear canal. And there is an, it goes to a speaker. So the microphone runs the wire down to the speaker. The speaker is right close to the eardrum, and it lets it out. And I get that, that instant sound right up against the ear. And there's a little tiny cone thing on the end of the, of the speaker that allows you to hold on to a, a, uh, a rubber cone that fits in to hold everything in place kind of in your ear where it's supposed to be. You know more about hearing aids than a lot of people already. Okay. So this is a good thing, but there's a problem with hearing aids. Uh, most people know that they plug up this ear canal and there's a thing called wax buildup. The normal person, when they talk and eat, it, it, it's the, it turns the wax around and keeps it kind of clean. But when you have it plugged all the time, the, the ear wax plugs up the canal and builds up. And pretty soon... The speaker is speaking, but it's not getting through to the eardrum because it hits the, the, the wax. And it can build up enough that they put a little filter on the other side of the speaker so that the wax can't get in there and ruin it. So you can plug up the filter and you can plug up the ear canal. And so what I do to solve this problem in the modern world is I go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor every four or five months, and he goes in and cleans out the wax. He has this cool vacuum cleaner that just pulls it out. And if it's too stiff, he takes this pick, and it's, it's awful. But it, it works. It takes the dried out wax. And now I can hear again that that canal is opened up. And I have to change the filter about every month on the speaker. So now I don't have, I don't have a problem with the hearing. So what's the point of this illustration? There better be a point, right? Well, 
if wax builds up in my, in my uh, ears, I lose connection to the outside world. I can't hear television, I can't hear people, I can't hear birds, I can't hear the sounds of the outdoors or the warning sounds of sirens or car horns or the call to dinner. I can't hear any of that. It affects my relationship to people. My grandkids begin to yell at me in exasperation because I can't keep Papa, Papa, they get tired of yelling at me. I'm not really understanding what is being said so much of the time when I have these blocked. So this creates a problem for my life. I am present, but I am of little value to those around me because I can't hear them. In the same way, when sin and unclean things come into our lives, as a Christian, they cut us off from communication with God. They cut us off from him. They interrupt our relationship and our fellowship with God. And it keeps us and affects our ability to hear him. And so we don't respond to him as we ought to. And we really become kind of useless to God when we fill our lives with sin and things that are unclean. You know, another thing that a hearing aid has is a small round battery. And they last about a week. And when it's ready to go and and run out, the battery sends me this annoying tune to warn me. And the warning is, if I don't replace the battery very soon, I'm going to lose all power to the hearing aids. In our Christian life, when we begin to sin and get off track with our relationship to God, he reveals to us as we pray and read his word that something's wrong. His Holy Spirit sends an alert to us that we call conviction. We know something's wrong because God speaks to our heart. And he calls us to do something, to get things right with him, And if we don't do that, we become useless to God. If God convicts us and burdens us about our sin and uncleanness, it's us to do something about it. You need to remember, as the song we were singing tells us, the power that raised Jesus from the the grave and the power that raises the, the dead to life is the power that lives in us. He's there. But we can obstruct his power in our life by making him coexist in our hearts with unclean things and sin in our lives. So what are we supposed to do when we feel this conviction and have this warning from God? Well, I think the first thing that Scripture talks about is we need to confess that sin. That means we need to admit to God, yeah, you're right, God, I agree with you. What is, it, what is filling my life and what has become a part of my heart is wrong. And I agree with you. I confess it as a sin that separates me from you and the fellowship that we would enjoy. I'm not just sorry I got caught or sorry that the consequences are going to be hard, but I'm sorry enough that I want to repent. I don't want to do it again. So, Lord, I'm sorry. I agree with you what's wrong. Help me not to ever do it again. That's repentance. If I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from that unrighteousness. So we need to repent and seek his forgiveness. Otherwise, he's going to be hindered in his ability to use us for his purpose and do great things in our lives. And we're really, when we're filled with other things, it plugs us up for the service of God. The same way in our church, if unclean attitudes, disobedience to God, or internal jealousies, or unforgiving attitudes build up in our church, it loses its strength. And God cannot do great things through his people. So when God calls us to consecrate ourselves, he is calling us to get our life cleaned up 
and holy. So he is free to do great things in our life. So we need to get rid of anything that separates us from him. Consecration is spiritual preparation necessary for God's work in our lives. So he says, consecrate Joe for tomorrow. Consecrate Sally for tomorrow. No, he, he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow God's about to do great things. It says, consecrate yourselves. Something we must do ourselves. God does the forgiving and the cleansing in response to us. God is not going to just zap us and make us clean without our involvement. We need to consecrate ourselves. I just got a new Sonic Care toothbrush. It's amazing. It's different, and it has a charger, but it has this little thing that you take the head off, you stick it in, you close it, you push a button, and a light comes on, and it tells you it's a sterilizer. So it sterilizes my toothbrush. So all the germs and bacteria are gone. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just uh, go to a sterilizer and clean up our lives? Push a button and the light just cleaned us up? Doesn't work that way. They have to get involved ourselves. God is not going to just zap us. Consecration is personal in nature. No one else is going to clean up your television and your movie watching. Only you can do that. No one else is going to change your bad attitude. No one else is going to forgive that person for you. No one else is going to, to make you faithful to your church commitments. No one else is going to make you stop being diff different at home than you are at church. No one else is going to get you out of bed so that you read God's word and pray. You must do it. You must consecrate yourselves. God is going to give you the power, but you need to take an active role in doing something to consecrate your life to him. And notice also that we're not to consecrate Others, just ourselves. There's a lot of us who like to consecrate other folks. You know? Did you ever notice that? Uh, people that are not our responsibility. We're to focus on ourselves. We're not to get as consecrated as we can. You're not responsible for others. Uh, not other church members. You don't need to consecrate them. It's not your business. Not your neighbor. Not your husband or your wife. Not the church staff. Not those in other groups in the church. Consecrate yourself, he said. Each one of those people. On this side of the Jordan River, we're to consecrate themselves. Consecrate yourselves. Your focus should be on what you need to do to consecrate yourself for God's work tomorrow. What you do matters. What we do matters. Sometimes we say to ourselves, it really doesn't matter what I do. God is going to do what he wants to do anyway. Hmm, is that true? People say that about voting, right? Doesn't matter if I vote. It's going to happen no matter what I do. I think that's a little shaky as we just passed this election. Maybe it does matter what I do. A little farther in chapter 7 of Joshua, we meet a man by the name of Achan. Achan was a man who had a problem. When, when God's people went into Jericho and they won the battle, they were told ahead of time that they were to take nothing at all from Jericho. It was all basically unclean to them. But Achan decided he saw some clothes he liked, and he saw some gold he liked, and Israel won the battle of Jericho, but Achan went home and hid the stuff he stole from those people, put it in his tent. But when Israel went out to fight again in the next city, which was just a little town, 
They fled before the city and were defeated. And Joshua fell down before the Lord and cried out. He couldn't understand. And the Lord said to him, why are you crying out? There is sin in the camp. And Israel could not go on into victory unless the sin was eradicated from the camp. The point is, it matters what one person does. It matters what you do. It matters what I do. One person's sin caused the defeat of the whole people of Israel. And it can be the same way today. We must realize that one person's sin can hurt the whole church. Everybody else in this church could be consecrated to God and get right with him and get ready for God to do something. But if you don't consecrate yourself, if you don't uh, get right with God yourself and you hold sin in your heart, it matters. You could be the one who holds the whole church back. Everything that God wants to do. There is a need for all God's people to consecrate themselves in the church as a whole to get the blessings of God. You remember when uh, Jesus was here and he was meeting with his disciples and his followers for the last time, he told them to go into Jerusalem and wait there for the Spirit to come. And while they were hanging around waiting for the Spirit to come, what do you think they were doing? They were praying. They were getting right with God. And when God's Spirit came, it came in a powerful way and attracted great crowds. And Peter stood up and it says the others stood with him. As a united group, they came and were used by God and thousands were saved and the church was born. And that was was, uh, the beginning of the great things that God would do. They stood together. So it's important that we all consecrate individually. He said, consecrate yourselves and he meant for everybody. Okay, the conclusion is the result of Joshua's command to the people of Israel was that they did consecrate themselves and God did do wonders among them. Because it tells us a little farther down in verse 14 of chapter 3, if you're still there with us in Joshua. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. God was out in front. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. A whole bunch crossed in dry land. God did a great and wonderful thing. After they consecrated themselves to him, he showed his power. And God went ahead of them in the symbol presence of of the ark and the waters parted. What does God want to do in your life? What does God want to do in my life? What does God want to do in our church? I believe he wants to do things more wonderful than we could possibly imagine. I really do love this church. I pastored a church down across the river for a long, long time and I've learned to love this group. And it has ministered to me and it is a wonderful church. And I think God wants to do wonderful things in it, in this community. But for that to happen, 
we must take him seriously and consecrate ourselves today so that he can do wonders among us. Today we have a bookmark in your, uh, your bulletin. This comes from the Pastor Search Committee. It mentions the scripture, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And it asks the question, what am I doing? What am I doing now to prepare for what God wants to do in and through our church? This is an opportunity during our invitation and then we'd like you to consider that question. Take this home, pray about it. There are some lines under there. Are you ready to make a commitment to God? Something that God is going to speak to you about when you consecrate and come to him in prayer that you can contribute, that he would want to change to make you more like him and to increase and make your relationship to him better. And we encourage you to write that down, pray about it, make it a real commitment, a personal one between you and God. And help us to get ready as a people for God's movement in our, in our church and in, our, and in the leadership we're going to have. Would you stand with me as we go to Lord in prayer? Dear Lord, today we come to you with many needs. Many needs in our lives with problems and challenges way bigger than we can handle. We look to you and realize that most of our problems relate to our wrong relationship to you that's gone sour. Something has happened to cut us off from the great purposes you have for our life. As a church, we continue to ask you for guidance in finding a, man, finding a man to lead our church and equip us for better serve you. Help us to get ready for the future by getting right with you now. Please, Lord, help us to consecrate our lives so that you can do great things in our lives and in our church. We ask this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Just pray as, as God challenges us during this time. As uh, Dane sings to us. Oh, Lord, you serve.